Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Spread. I'm very excited to be here with Lacelli Satali. Lacelli and I met a few years back when she actually hosted me on her podcast called In Her Corner. And this really awesome podcast is dedicated to addressing gender inequity, racism, and sexism in the sports industry. And we've been in touch. We've been friends since then. Lacelli is currently Director of Football and Music Partnerships at Expedia Group. And her background in sports marketing runs really deep. She's previously held roles at Sky Sports and DAZN, amongst many others. And sports is also a huge part of her life outside of her day job, from running in her corner to serving on the advisory board of Leaders in Sport a business thought leadership organization. So thanks for being here and welcome to the podcast, Lacelli. Thank you so much for having me on, Carrie. And so wonderful to have you here. And also extra excited that you're now towards our side of the Atlantic because when we first connected, which was hugely exciting for me, you were in New York. So I'm happy that you're in Berlin, a little bit closer. So we'll have that face-to-face meeting soon too. So I'm looking forward to it. Yes. Super excited about that too. But for now, I'm excited to be on the spread. And I think it's such an awesome thing that you've set up. So thank you for having me as a guest. Thanks for being here. You are obviously one of my inspirations for starting a podcast. Thanks. Yeah, great. So I would love to start with just an introduction and some getting to know you because you have such an interesting, diverse background working all across sports. So can you tell us how you came to work in sports and then kind of how you got to where you are today? Awesome. I'll try and be brief. So I just for as long as I could remember, sports was always part of my childhood and how I grew up. And both my mom and dad were hugely into sports, but especially my dad, who I used it as a form of way to bond with him. And I used to sit every Saturday, Sunday with him, just watching everything from Formula One right the way through to the evening, boxing, golf in between, where I'd fall asleep a little bit, I won't lie. (laughs) And then football. But what really caught my imagination in all of it and being lucky enough also to attend a lot of life sporting events with my parents was just how powerful it was in bringing people together and giving people this unrivaled sense of escapism and something about that I really love. Growing up, we moved around a lot of different countries, a lot of different cultures, different languages to learn. And so it was always like my sort of constant way of being able to connect and find my way in with people. So I loved it and I loved playing sports, but unfortunately I wasn't gifted enough to go on to be a professional athlete. So I started to sort of have a poke around and think, about what I could do. And there's sort of two key moments, I think, in my life when I look back to them where I decided I wanted to do something about working in the business side of sport was first was when I was growing up at school. And one of the schools I attended in my early years was actually in South Africa, not too long after apartheid had ended there. And two big things happened whilst I was there. Whilst I was at school, I was not picked to represent the school in any sort of formal out-of-school competitions, despite the fact that I was one of the better athletes that could actually qualify in terms of the times and all the sort of benchmarks because the school had still not yet come to terms with the fact that it would have to allow for Mm non-white children to represent it because previously it actually had law protections that allowed it not to do that. 
And then second, whilst that was happening, the rise of the Williams sisters was going on. And I was really sort of captivated by them and seeing people who look like me doing really well, despite the odds and the backdrop of tennis, which was also kind of a very white sport that inherently didn't have space for people who look like Venus and Serena, who were in a lot of ways an extension of how little black girls like me around the world felt. And so seeing them triumph made me think there has to be some way that you get to be in a position that gives that opportunity. So how can I figure out that way? And at that same time as well, my dad had a sort of stroke of genius, but my mom would argue it wasn't at the time where he decided on their anniversary weekend to take us to go and see South Africa playing in the Rugby World Cup final in 1995 when they played New Zealand. And that was the sort of famous moment of a Hollywood film that is now starring Matt Damon and Morgan Freeman called Invictus, where Nelson Mandela adorns this South African shirt as he hands over the trophy to the South African rugby winning captain. And that moment, and I remember how South Africa and the mood of the country changed from being one that was quite standoffish and hostile, but in this moment of this sporting occasion came together and felt a sense of unified pride. And those memories, those two things oscillating at the same time, and it made me curious to think, who gets to decide who gives those opportunities? And then how, when you do have those opportunities, can you help create a platform to allow more opportunities? So that was kind of my inspiration, sort of having the experience of being kept out of something that I could see had a really powerful social impact, loving that thing because of what it gave me and my family and the connection, and then trying to figure out a way, as always, to try and be a part of it and, and making it happen for other people. Wow, that's amazing. I didn't know that. And I love hearing this story because it's really inspiring and makes me even more curious to hear more about your work and how you got from that moment, those two moments of inspiration to where you are now. Yeah. So yeah, can you tell us just a little bit more about how you started there and got to where you are? Yeah, for sure. So I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to come to the UK and do my formative years of education here. And whilst I was there, I continued to play sport at a pretty good level and continued to realize that there were actually careers in communications and marketing that felt exciting. And mm -hmm. they felt exciting to me because they gave me an opportunity to be at the side I wanted to be at, which was as close to the athletes as possible to almost continue to live vicariously through them, through my own lack of sporting ability. <laughs> and so what that allowed me to do was figure out and learn and meet lots of different people in different career areas. And I met a couple of people who worked in communications and football, a lot of people who worked in communications and motorsport. And I started to get really interested and fascinated actually about Formula One because it was interesting to me that this sport had this sort of global presence and that it traveled all around the world and went to lots of different places, but was not global and its sort of makeup and representation. And so mm, I kind of mm -hmm. got curious and thought, how great would it be if you could go and try and like do something different in that arena? And so I started to apply for lots of different graduate schemes and internships. And as luck would have it, one of my lecturers knew the communications director of Fiat Group, who owned a Scuderia Ferrari. And I'd written a paper because I was a little bit geeky and I found it interesting. <laughs> And semiotics, and I it was around how I could see that there was a real correlation between 
Italian motor racing and this sort of Italian brand and how that mm-hmm. had been used by Ferrari to make itself incredibly famous and coveted. And I thought that there was something really interesting and in actually how you could use that to grow the sport beyond the sort of small niche audience that it had at that point, because this was all years pre-Drive to Survive for everyone who's listening and can't imagine F1 any other way than it is now. (laughs) And so happily, I got onto the graduate scheme there and I started working there and I learned a great deal about how to build a brand from the ground up, how to really leverage athletes for marketing. But it was always quite a small, restricted world. And so what I was trying to find was my way into a bigger sport that had more global impact, having learned all those incredibly valuable Mm -hmm. lessons. And so then I ended up in the world of media and sports media in particular, and then just worked my way up through different organizations, starting off first in press news with Wall Street Journal, where I started in a broad commercial role and then went into editorial. And then from there, got a role working as a freelance sports journalist. And then from there, started working at a sports marketing agency called CSM, where we looked after a lot of talent representation. So I fell into talent representation probably because of my weird, trivial, encyclopedic knowledge on athletes, and also just my insensible one to try and find different faces to get brands to get behind, because that was a lot of our job was to find brand opportunities for athletes to get them to be able to stay in their sport longer and grow. And an area that was really untapped were the non-traditional sports in UK context, that is. So boxing was one. And I felt that there was a really good opportunity to do something quite socially impactful in boxing. And happily at the time for me, there was a boxer who's actually fighting tomorrow night when we're recording this Mm. called Anthony Joshua, who had yet to sort of have a break commercially speaking, but had had a really great Olympic year where he won gold. And I made a proposal to him and his team that we could take them on and help them find a big brand to represent them. And happily, after working away with him and his team, we managed to land them deals with Under Armour and Beats and then Google later on. So it just helped to really grow his star and look as sport in a really different way. I remember when I went to pitch him to Lucozade Sport, they looked at me, that's like our equivalent of Gatorade for your American listens. They mm. looked at me as if I'd grown five heads because it was such a safe family brand. And this idea of boxing <laughs> just seemed so not good for them. But what I was trying to say to them was that this was a really powerful story of an underdog, someone who was largely discounted in their lives and had managed to turn his life around through finding boxing and what it gave him as a discipline and as a, something to aspire to. And how powerful it could be for them to bake this idea into their brand, that you could be the greatest sum of your parts through finding movement, which is something they were trying to become better known for versus the sort of old sugary drink that they used to be to more of a health energy drink. So it just felt like a really nice emotional connection. And in the UK, mm-hmm. we love an underdog. We're always rooting for them. And at that point, Anthony was, he's not any, by any stretch of the imagination these days, he's a big superstar. But I was really proud to have been part of that journey. And then it just snowballed and we took on other clients until zone came knocking on my door and they were trying to do something different. You'll learn a little theme about me as we go along. I like to disrupt and do things differently all the time. And really what the appeal for me was with the zone is they were trying to redo and rethink how sports media was done and curated and how people experienced it. And that for me represented a really big opportunity. If you remember at the beginning, I was talking about how I had sort of figured out there has to be someone somewhere in charge of representing how people look and who gets opportunities. And I learned very quickly that media companies hold a lot of sway in the sports industry Mm -hmm. because they provide a lot of the funding. So I thought it was really exciting to go and join that journey. So I spent four years at DAZN and through it, managed to have some wins, some draws, some losses, but I learned a great amount. And I feel that all the lessons I learned there taught me one really, really key thing is that when you are 
a big, powerful media brand and company, as I then went on to experience at Sky Sports, where I went to After the Zone, you have a real level of responsibility, but also unmatched power in how you can create narratives that oscillate mm-hmm. in people's mind and recreate a value for whether they think something is good or not or worthy. And I think that very much happens in terms of how sport is editorialized for men and women. And this became a sort mm-hmm. of obsession of mine to try and find a way to figure out how to change that. But a lot of what I started to learn, which is what inspired me to set up in her corner, was the actual gender balances in the workplaces were a huge part of the problem. They had Mm -hmm. recruited sort of groupthink, people who look the same, Mm -hmm. talk the same, Mm -hmm. came from the same backgrounds. And so when I came into those spaces, I would invariably have a challenge in trying to get us to think about things differently and editorialize sport and mediate it and the athletes we chose, the presenters, the packaging, the language, all those things. But I really enjoyed that process because going back to my educational background of having studied communications and sports marketing, the things that you were taught were about how, you know, you create frameworks for how people communicate. And I think you as creatives are the best at this, right? You create systems of references that make people trigger certain emotions and feelings that they then associate with something. And when you have the ability to have a 24-7 news channel, as sports do nowadays, you can do that at a much faster rate. And if you're not cognizant and intentional, about how you pick those pieces, it can be quite a narrow view that you present of the world. And I Mm -hmm, think mm -hmm. that's unfortunately where we've got to in sports. And I was trying to agitate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting hearing you talk about media and how media is shaping the narrative and basically really influences how people think, which I think we generally know this to be the case about media. But I'm just thinking as a creative, as a designer, I think what we do is kind of the same. We're taking a brand and we are shaping it in such a way to try to influence how it's perceived to build connection with people. And it's, I think design is very, I think of it as a, almost as having a responsibility as a designer to make sure that I'm doing work for good that's aligned with my values because it really influences how people think. And it's very interesting to hear the parallel of how you approached media with a similar lens. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that your point that you make about design is such a big one because also it's just associations, right? Like simple associations that you make when you see the color red in a car, mm-hmm. suddenly there's this feeling that it's faster or better mm-hmm. than a car mm-hmm. that isn't that color. But it's because over years of time, that image has been reinforced by someone who chose creatively to codify red as being successful, powerful, and mm-hmm. fast, right? But it's being conscious that when you make those choices, what do you want your audience to feel and take away? And then when those choices start to create a narrative that leaves out other people, how do you pull it back and change it? So I think there's like a very interesting way in. And when I interviewed you, I think one of the things I shared with you that I was really struck by, creatively speaking, when you look at sports and sports media organizations, but even apparel companies, there's a real Mm -hmm. absence of female creatives. And I don't Mm -hmm. think that that is then and therefore surprising to see that sportswear and just the availability of things, even when you're in a fashion sort of, mm-hmm. uh, let's say, category in terms of kit and uniform, it's just not readily available as it was for women. You know, the fact that this recent Women's World Cup was, you know, one of the moments of celebration was that they were finally creating non-white shorts for women. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel like that's 
quite an embarrassment, actually, if we consider how long periods have been around and how long women in sports have been. But the fact that that's only happening now, and now, unfortunately, this World Cup, again, if you look at it, there's quite a lot of top female players who are missing because they didn't have proper made custom boots for them, right? It's really mm-hmm. hard to find, apart from Ida Sports, shout out to them mm-hmm. who make brilliant women's specific footwear, but actually the big brands don't. And so a lot mm-hmm. of the players are taking a huge risk by wearing cleats that are not right for them. So it's all these things. But again, I really feel fundamentally it's because the workforce that's powering this industry isn't representative of women and women's needs. And so that's where that comes in. And that's why I'm always excited when I see brilliant creative directors like you heading up your own studio and leading that with the intention of creating a communication framework and a way and products and things that are very much for women to keep them playing sport, but also to get people excited about sport and also engaged with it. Yeah, definitely. And that's something I think about all the time is that We see who's in front of the camera, but we don't see who's behind. And it is really, it's mostly men making these decisions still, the creative decisions, the business decisions. And the result of that is that creatively, at least a lot of things look the same. Like, why are we not reinventing how women's soccer or women's football is what it is, what it looks like from the kits to the logos to everything. It's kind of like this shrink it and pink it mentality of just taking the men's and making it smaller and making it pink. Why are we making everything pink still? (laughs) Yeah. So So true. So true. Yeah. Especially if people knew the origins of pink. I think that's the one for people to Google afterwards. They'll be shocked. Yeah. I don't even know if I know the origins of pink. So I'll need to Google that. Yeah. yeah. It's an interesting (laughs) story. It's related to actually the king's chosen army guards of most empires. Yeah. So very macho actually originally in its history. A little fun fact for you. That is a fun fact. Yeah. 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 So on this note, I think I'm love all of the work that you do in your day job and outside of it. And I think oh, it's super creative. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm very curious to hear about In Her Corner, about your podcast and why you started it, how you came up with the idea and how it's evolved and what your goal is for it. Yeah. I started in Hakorna because I wanted to try and make a meaningful contribution to closing this representation gap that I was talking Mm -hmm. about. And it was really from my own experiences. I learned that as I was getting opportunities to go and mentor and young girls in lots of different schools and things, something I was hugely passionate about because I benefited from it. Mm -hmm. It was hard it started to feel harder and harder to make it a reality for them that there was more than me who was doing this kind of job. And so what mm-hmm. I started to say was actually, there was a lot of great women who were doing this job. So how could I like make that real and tangible for them? So I started to bring some women that I knew who were good friends of mine into the schools to do talks with me and stuff. But then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And so that physical ability to get together went away. And just before it hit, I had managed to curate the series in her corner as it became as a podcast of events that were going to happen monthly. We would have these meets, have these sort of opportunities for inspiration sessions. Women tell their stories, how they got into the roles they did. Just show the diversity of possibility of careers because I actually identified that that was a huge barrier as well for a lot of girls, but also boys. They didn't know about the wide range of careers that were available in sports. 
So I started that and I thought to myself, what a waste to kill that whole format just because physically we're not there. And I started Mm -hmm. to think about some of the ways in which I was keeping in touch with the world whilst lockdown was on. And a big thing for me was actually podcast. I used to go on my half an hour walks that we were allowed to do then in the UK at the beginning of (laughs) lockdown 1.1. And I would always put on a podcast, but it was such an inspiring, stimulating part of my day. And I thought to myself, what if I could take all those stories for all those women I've already researched and tracked down that we were going to do those events with and actually create an audio format and use that as a way to reach even more people than just the group of girls that I was linked to in the schools. And so that's how In Her Corner was born. So I spent six weeks learning how to do it in my bedroom, researching everything that I could online. And they had bags of time. That was the good news for me. For the first time in my life, I was stationed somewhere in one country, one place, because Mm -hmm. we were on furlough because live sports had gone off air Mm -hmm. completely. And so, yeah, I just dedicated myself to learning the art of podcasting, basically, and recruiting more and more women, getting more and more stories and happily got introduced to you through a good mutual friend of ours and just wanted to use this as a tool. So it started off as a tool to educate and inspire people about the possibilities that they were in sports intentionally rooted in getting stories of women who are not given platforms to often tell their stories and share how they got into things in order to try and close this lack of representation that I saw in terms of women not being at the forefront, but also trying to use my own personal experience to give like real sort of talking points and learnings for people as to what it feels like to be sort of a minority in a minority group Mm -hmm. and trying to change the discourse of how we think about sport in general, even how, you know, I think there's quite a lot of sort of toxic masculine traits, even in the very male image that is sports that needs to be shed to open it up and bring in a sort of different type of people into it. So these were always the kind of things that I was hoping to inspire conversation and change around and happily managed to grow the podcast to a good level to do that and then span it actually to the networking group that I wanted where we pair some young girls with some women and different communities that help to give them the tools and the sort of education they wanted. It kind of grew beyond me, if I'm very honest with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it grew way quicker than I expected, happily, because I got funding and lots of support from brands that came on board. And I've had to take a hiatus from it over the last eight months as I transitioned into this role that I'm now doing here at Expedia, just because it's something I love and I want to do well always. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sadly have just run out of road and bandwidth of being able to do both. So I intentionally decided to take a break. But it's coming back and it's coming back in a new format that I've been building and working on over the last few two months that I've had some sort of headspace and inspiration to rethink about it. So I'm looking forward to bringing it back and continuing to try and build the conversation to bring more action into changing who and how leadership in a sports lens is cultivated. Yeah, and I'll be looking forward to experiencing V2 of In Her Corner when you come back to it. Thank you. When you're sharing about it, it made me think about how collaboration is so key to creativity. And you've had so many interesting conversations with the women that you've interviewed on the show. And I'm curious if you have an example of perhaps one interview or one moment from an interview that inspired you to, in some way, maybe inspired you to do something in your personal life or in your work life, but curious kind of how this sharing of ideas, which I think is at the core of creativity. I like to think of creativity as a very broad thing. And I think what you're doing of creating this podcast is quite creative. So curious if you have an example to share with us. 
Yeah. No, I think it's definitely a collection of things. And actually, you were also one of this collection of lessons that I learned when I was it. And it was this idea of not being distracted by Mm. other things that happen and disrupt your why. Mm. I think the biggest lesson I've learned from all the different women who've been on my podcast, including you, is that you've all had to learn to build your own tables and your own Mm -hmm. pathways and sort of grow a consciousness and acceptance that there's a lot of people are not going to understand what you're doing, but that doesn't Mm -hmm. invalidate it or shouldn't derail you and you should keep going with it because you are rooted in why and what you want to do well. I think that's the biggest learning that it had for me. I think before I started to listen to all your stories and your experiences and sort of was reflecting on them as a whole, I was always driven by this sense that I needed to change the naysayer people's mind rather than Mm. that I needed to, instead of spending all that energy on those naysayers, instead it was better to stay with the energy on building up the things that I believed in that I knew would have sort of multiplying positive effect that I wanted Mm -hmm. to see. So for me, definitely the lesson I learned from all of you, and I'm really grateful to you because you were describing for me when you set up butter and all the sort of barriers that came for you, but you just kept really focused on the fact that you wanted to set it up this way. The reason you wanted to set up this way is that you wanted to change intentionally how women were hired and treated in creative spaces, but then also how you went in and made a pitch for work and sports to try and change how inherently male and sort of narrow it was. And so I thank you and all the other women who came on for teaching me that actually, you know, the path less trodden is a really good one if you stay resolutely focused on just going forward and not being distracted by lots of things that will try and move your attention away. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And there are constantly those distractions and the setbacks and the frustrations, especially when you're trying to pave a different path in a very male-dominated space. On that note, I'd love to hear about your current role at Expedia. It's not the type of company where you expect a sports (laughs) sports business expert to be. So tell us about your role there. Yeah, it's probably a hidden gem. And I keep on jokingly (laughs) saying to my boss, I don't want to keep talking to people about it in case they discover it. And then they (laughs) want to come and work here and take my happy place from me. But no. All jokes aside, I think what was really interesting about when I was lucky enough to get the approach from Expedia was I did also have the same question mark as you. And I thought to myself, oh, a travel company wants me to go and do what I do for them. Why is that? And then I remember just as I was starting to ask myself that question, I thought to myself, that is so silly. Because when you think about my origin story, my origin story is that sports was my connector all around the world, everywhere I went. When I was traveling, moving countries, moving schools, everything, it was my sort of universal language. And I thought to myself, actually, when you look at how sports is curated, particularly your big sports like football, it comes from the fact that people follow it everywhere in the world. And in order to follow it, they need to travel there, right? Right, and when right. Tra- yeah, so when you actually like take a step back, you're like, actually, it is really obvious that a travel company mm-hmm. would be interested in this. And then if you think about actually the practicalities of every week, these games on everywhere in the world and they move around in formats, someone needs to get those people there. And what better way than a travel company who actually has a legitimate reason to talk to you about you having this sort of global passion that you travel for and how we could try and create more meaning for what was originally a sort of cluster of a house of brands and Expedia Group 
Expedia, mm-hmm. Hotels.com, Verbos, we've now moved them to be through my brilliant boss, John Gizelman's vision of having, you know, a house of brands that was consolidated over three different types of trips, but trying to try and add a sort of cultural connective meaning and saying, how do we actually help you experience more of what you love with more of the people that you do that takes away the friction? Because everyone loves traveling, but they don't like the act that it involves. So the uh-huh, operational definitely. bit, the planning, <laughs> the, all the things, trying to get everybody together. We've all had those group spreadsheets of the group trip, oh, yeah. et cetera. So all these things. <laughs> so I was really fascinated that at the heart of Expedia was this sort of human truth connecting ability through its sort of operational business. It didn't have a way to contextualize that in a meaningful way that would allow people to care about it. And yet it was solving actually a big problem for them in taking away the unfun part in inverted commas of travel. So it just was really interesting to me to say, how do we repraise how that brand is seen as it's really rebuilding itself through beautiful storytelling and trying to sort of unveil human truths about why we travel and what makes it special and then use sport and music as these two universal connectors of people that unearth reasons why and how Mm -hmm. we can make those experiences of you getting there better. So yeah, which we articulate through a a phrase, which I think is really, again, when I heard it was almost as obvious as my (laughs) unpacking of why this was actually quite a relevant place to be. Nothing beats being there because it's so true. Mm When you think about anything you want to travel for and you love, there's nothing that beats the feeling of you physically being there when you take that dream trip, when you go and see that favorite band of yours, when you're there for that live uh, sporting moment that gives you the goosebumps collectively with 60, 70,000 other people that you would never ordinarily be with. So yeah, it's a great project and a great brief, but also challenging, right? Because you can do everything and it can be a mess and not communicate anything clearly. But if you have really good focus and intentionality, you can do some really impactful things. Yeah, it's funny because now that you've explained it, it's incredibly obvious. But <laughs> on first glance, it's like travel company sports. Why? Random. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's not random at all. It actually combines all of my favorite things sports, Together. travel. Yeah, yeah, music too. Music, yeah. So can you tell us about a creative project, a campaign, or partnership? that you built and kind of the creative process, either from the marketing lens or more of the creative execution lens? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'm really lucky that I work with a team of incredibly brilliant strategists, creatives and comms planners. And I think one of the things that I was really excited about that I got a chance to see from the ground up as I came in to the business recently was the Champions League campaign and also Liverpool, uh, who's a partner. So we are travel partners of both those particular sporting entities. And really what we were trying to do this particular season that's just gone by was try to find those powerful moments that make being there for the pursuit of your love of football game really in this instance Mm -hmm. but with Liverpool fans it's that love of Liverpool and the things that makes it unique about being part of that special tribe family that's passionate Mm -hmm. and goes everywhere the Reds go whether they have a ticket or not it's quite a special thing and trying to find Mm -hmm. a really clear way to communicate some of those truly memorable moments that we knew from speaking to the players and the managers over the years were really made special and allowed the team to be successful purely because of their fan base being there and being able to turn things around for them psychologically and how they felt supported. And I thought there was something really powerful in actually finding a creative way to celebrate fans for the fact that their being there makes the opportunity for teams to succeed much Mm -hmm. better. 
And mm-hmm. I think this is something that we take for granted. And I think during COVID probably highlighted it, but then people forgot again when the, you know, you had all these empty arenas and you were playing and it didn't have that soul and passion. But even the players, when you spoke to them, told you, you know, and it didn't matter which level they played it, whether they're male or female, they all said the same thing. It just felt so weird and empty. And it felt like Mm -hmm. my reason for was missing. Mm -hmm. And so it felt like just a really natural place for us to lean into, given the fact that these fans sacrifice so much when they travel abroad to follow their team, you know, the time, the money, the commitment, but also just the emotional labor and sort of trying to crystallize that and bring it into communication moments that would mean something but with the fan at the forefront was a really lovely project to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And what would you say? So I also love that campaign. I saw at least one of the videos. I don't know if there are multiple. What would you say was kind of the inspiration for the content that was created? So you just told us the story behind it, but how did you choose what content to use? There was a lot of footage was pulled in for it. So I'm curious to hear a bit more about the process. Yeah. So the process that our creative team went through it, and I'm hoping I'm going to do justice to their genius here, was trying to say, well, there's lots of powerful moments that people travel for for those games that are actually on the pitch in the 90 minutes plus. But that isn't actually a true place for Expedia to live because we're the people who get them there. So what is Mm -hmm. the perfect way in which we can fuse the moments of the journey that Mm. they go on to get to that moment, that sort of peak pinnacle moment experience that. And so what we wanted to do was tell a story about travel through the lens of football rather than football lens of travel. And so we intentionally Mm -hmm. picked images that were sort of football against the backdrop of all the biggest, best cities that you could experience the game in and really Mm -hmm. to hero the sense of place and destination so that it had a duality of a meaning, the journey that you physically go on, but also the journey emotionally that is linked to those moments all set against the backdrop of all these amazing places and cultures and textures and food and sort of monumental sort of historical buildings and places and different cultures and colors and anthems and sounds that you hear. Because actually, that's the bit that people forget about that because you're following this really, truly global sport, what you're getting a chance to experience are these wonderful different cultural tapestries. And so what we wanted to do was bring that through in the visual language of how we told the story of that journey to be there for that wonderful moment that was really led through the cultural experiences of those cities. So that was our inspiration. I love that. Creative team are okay (laughs) with that explanation when they hear this. I love that. And it again, seems like it would be obvious, but it's not. And it's really impactful when you see it all come together. So yeah, no, definitely. They did an amazing job of it. And I think one of the things that struck me really beautifully, and it's a shame, I keep on saying to them, I want them to find a way. So I'm going to make the plea now in a public forum again, (laughs) to find a way to transport the experience because the video you saw, which is sort mm-hmm. of like the kind of wrapper of all the creative we did over the course of the season that shows the journey of all the different cities culminating in the final that just happened in Istanbul for the men's Champions League final. I'll be specific about which competition mm-hmm. we're talking about. Was that actually we built an immersive experience when you were in Istanbul in the fan park? that you could come Mm -hmm. in and you could actually experience so you could have the sounds the sights the feeling the heat the cold of all the games so it actually took you through the whole thing so you felt it but what was really wonderful that we had the privilege of being able to do through working with our ambassador for that particular campaign was Patrick Vieira around a decorated European player and also Alessandro Nesta same is they both came and watched 
the video. And even though they weren't in it, both of them watching them, they had this visceral physical reaction. Wow. And they both went on to explain later on that it transported them back into those most memorable moments that they could Mm -hmm. almost feel. And they went on to talking about actually how it all made them feel. And later that evening, we had this dinner where we rewarded our most loyal customers and business partners with Alessandro Nesta, who was returning back to Istanbul, the stadium that night that he was going back. He hadn't been back since he lost a very epic match there to Liverpool Mm. back in 2005. And he said, because in the morning he'd watched that video and had been in that immersive experience, it made him very emotional. And he could now remember almost to every detail that match in a way that he couldn't. And he went on to explain to us how and why AC Milan lost because (laughs) of a fight they had at halftime and how the crowd getting behind Liverpool, despite the fact that they were 3-0 down to AC Milan when they went back, really played with their psyche because they were wow. divided at this halftime. Yeah, and no, he'd never told this story before. It's quite amazing. But it had all stimulated this sense of memory because of the place. And mm-hmm. it actually showed the creative insight that led to that decision was actually really great because here we were not knowing at all that this stuff existed, but it unearthed mm-hmm. it all for him as a memory. And Patrick went on to talk about also his own memories of it and the Champions League and how the anthem used to make him feel as a little boy watching on TV and how he had these dreams that he would one day, you know, walk out and pitch to it and win. And it was just such a powerful recollection. But what I loved most about both of their reaccounting of the experiences is that it took them back to all the places that had led them to that moment. And they talked about those, not just the game, which was really, really a lovely way for us to actually have a little bit of validation that our creative way in of thinking about that journey, both metaphorically and physically, was a really powerful way to unlock what that unbeatable moment was for them as an experience. Yeah, 100%. I think you can't have a better example of the power of creative than that, because I think of it as really just a way to connect with people. Yeah, That's what it is at the end of the day, whether it's video, whether it's design, whether it's music. And that is 100% proof of this connection, the fact that it sparked all of these memories and the feeling that someone experiences from interacting with some piece of creative. And that's why I love working in sports too, is because of these moments that are so emotional, so human, this feeling of camaraderie that you get in these certain moments in life, like watching a marathon or going to a Beyonce concert or whatever it is. And it's the power in those moments and the power of the athletes, it's almost indescribable, but then the privilege of being able to work with it and capture it and try to tell the story through a creative output is so rewarding and so fun. And can I ask you a question? So first, did you go to Beyonce? First question, because you mentioned it there. I didn't, oh. but I inspired. I aspire to. <laughs> it was no, it's really no. I just wanted to ask you because I felt like I've seen Beyonce probably too many times to like. Okay, <laughs> I've seen her like twelve times. But what I really loved about it was that this concert, like she always puts on a great show, hundred mm-hmm. percent before the Beehive come after me. But what I thought mm-hmm. was really great about this show was that it was actually genuinely an audiovisual sensory experience, mm-hmm. and I've been wanting to like talk to Korea creatives about how they felt to see something like that because I feel it was like the perfect distillation of all the things that you would want to do either in video on its own or audio on its own or graphics Mm -hmm. on its own brought together in one big show 
and then performed as an expression. And I just wanted to understand like what you felt about that, like looking at it with a creative lens. And the other one as well, which I saw and only saw it on YouTube, but I wanted to also have your take on it because I'm always wondering when you converge these worlds together of like performance, art and visual mm-hmm. creative, like how does it make you as creatives feel when you experience it was Pharrell Williams debut as creative director. He's in first men's collection. I don't know if you got to see that show that he put on for Louis Vuitton in the middle of Paris on Lassie Enbridge. Did you see that? No, no, I it's worth a watch. It's worth a watch because I'd really love to hear your take on it because as a sort of non sort of creative with a capital C, let's call it, mm. I just thought that they were really great ways in that they had chosen because obviously they're not creative makers of things in sort of physical mm-hmm. visual. But what I thought was really clever about both is that they found a way to mix the medium of entertainment with triggering mm-hmm. like emotion through visual mm-hmm. audio language. And I just wanted to understand like, do you see that as now being like the way in which everybody will approach communicating these things? Because they've always kind of kept them separately. But I thought these two big moments and Taylor Swift's doing the same with her Eros tour mm-hmm. at the moment that's mm-hmm. sort of breaking the globe <laughs> yeah. sense, in a really positive way, obviously. But I think that's why they're so successful because they found a way to put these mediums that we normally experience separately together in an mm-hmm. entertainment form to communicate something powerful about their ideas. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to understand if you, do you deliberately take that approach now when you see things like that as a way to like push your own creative work or does it feel like it's in an entertainment realm and not where you are in a creative discipline? Yeah. Well, I haven't seen them, so we might have to do another episode once I finally make it to a Beyonce show. Yeah. But I would say it almost doesn't matter what I think as a creative. It matters what anybody, any fan who is going to the show is experiencing and what it makes them feel. But I love in general on that note, this idea of mixing media and having experiences that span different outlets, whether it's a digital experience, like something that we've done before is build digital website experiences that reflect something that could also be a show at a museum or an experience at a hotel or whatever it might be. And giving people either different ways to interact with Mm -hmm. an experience or expanding an experience that maybe happens in one place to be accessible to more people elsewhere. And by combining different types of creative outputs. I'm curious now, I'll turn it back to you. Is is there anything that comes to mind in your work at Expedia or elsewhere where you're doing something like that? Yeah, no, 100%. We're trying to find the perfect way in to do that between sports and music. There's obviously lots of different ways in which this has happened before. Like we're happily partner with the NBA. And I think the NBA is probably a really good example of a sport that has a genre that's almost a soundtrack in hip hop. Mm -hmm. And if you think about all the sort of most iconic moments within that sport, they're almost Mm -hmm. simultaneously tied to the most iconic moments in hip hop and the recent celebration of the 50th year of hip hop Mm -hmm. sort of as an established recognized genre, let's say Mm -hmm. mainstream culture, really showed that when you saw the moments that were picked. There was a really lovely campaign that Hennessy did, which I thought was really clever, the talk to those moments. And what it had us thinking was if we want to become more meaningful and culturally sort of progressive brand versus one that's sort of reacting to culture, but actually being proactive and populating Mm -hmm. it. What are the powerful ways in which we can bring these really two powerful 
things together, but what is the best way to communicate them, which is why I was secretly trying to taff you off there to understand your (laughs) kind of take on that from a creative point of view, because we have sort of really good discussions and debates to say, if we do mix those two things together, because they're so powerful, will people's experiences of them be just that they take that away? And then Mm -hmm. our role in helping them have that experience is forgotten. I feel like I'm of the opinion, this is just my opinion. I have others that disagree with me and for very, very good, valid reasons. It doesn't matter whether or not the immediate recall and attribution is to the brand that made it happen. I think whatever happens is like a really powerful Maya Angelou quote, which is like, people will never remember, you know, what you said, what you did, but they'll always remember how you make them feel. And so Mm, I think on mm -hmm. some levels, and if I look at you wearing your Nike top that you're wearing, which is lovely, is that the reason why a lot of the decisions that go into you continuously buying Nike products are actually because of all the years and effort that Nike has put into making you feel a certain type of way because Mm -hmm. of how their brand turns up in moments. And so even though you couldn't name all those big ad campaigns and things they've done over time or experiences that you've been through, the point is they've created a catalog of feelings and memories and things that you associate with them, which is why when you see something that you do like that they produce as a physical product, you buy it, but you don't buy it just because you like how it looks. It's also because of how it makes you feel even if you're not consciously with it. And I think there's something powerful about being able to occupy that space if your job is getting people somewhere in the world, because whenever they want to create a memory of a sense of place, they'll remember that you gave them a really great experience and look for that again. And if you're lucky, they'll consciously remember that you did it, but actually nine times out of 10 will find you because there'll be nobody else who's making them feel like that. That's my Mm -hmm. theory, but maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I think that is absolutely brilliant. And I think you just captured really well what the point of creative is. It's to make people feel things and that's it. And I think you captured it beautifully. I don't think I could have said it any better. So (laughs) (laughs) very kind. Thank you. So on that note, our time together is about wrapping up. Mm -hmm. And I would like to end by asking the question that I always ask, which is what are three of your favorite organizations that span the world of sports and creativity? Wow, that's a humdinger of a question. (laughs) And I take it I can't pick Expedia. You can. (laughs) Just tell me why. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. No, I'll be fair and I'll not pick us. Although we're doing, I do feel like we are pushing the boat out and doing really great work. I would say that I'll start in the world of creativity. I really love the work that Midnight Agency do. So they're the agency for football club called Ajax. That's sort of their famous agency. And they've done a lot of the recent work for the Jamaican women's national team and helped them get to the World Cup. And I just really love the really wonderful way in which they always find a way to articulate the human truth and emotion of a moment. Mm -hmm. And then find a really powerful way in which to communicate it through the moment that is sort of seasonal and most relevant in sport or in culture. I think Mm -hmm. they do a really, really wonderful job of doing that. And I think that that's a really good benchmark. And the reason why I like them is that they don't always go for the most obvious mediums in which to communicate that. It's just Mm. sometimes some of the ideas they think. So when Ajax won a record number of titles about two years ago, I thought a really powerful thing they did 
is the club got to keep the trophy because that's a tradition. And mm-hmm. what they came up with as an idea was actually to melt down the trophy and create little stars, which are the emblem of the club. And then they sent a star to every one of their season ticket holders oh, wow. as a way to make sure that they all had a chance to keep that piece of history and accomplishment because it was something that they'd done together. And I just thought that was such a powerful, but very clever thing. It's like, we have this trophy, we're getting to keep it because we've reached this moment. And what's the most powerful way in which we can also make our fans be able to, back to the point you made there, feel as if they were there and a part of that moment. And they literally physically did by melting down the trophy wow, and yeah. into X number of stars. I just thought that was so clever, but so beautiful. It um, really is. Yeah. And every one of those fans will forever have that piece of silverware with them as well. So I just love that. So I think I always love their work and I always think that they do a really good job. Cool. But yeah. So that's number one. Number two, another one that I really, really just love, I think the simplicity of how they communicate things and have brought themselves back to being really good at the storytelling of an individual to sort of try and create more action and movement of others is together. I think uh, there, mm-hmm. this is the multimedia company that was created by Sue Bird, Megan Rapino, Alex Morgan, Chloe Kim, Simone Manuel, and I'm probably forgetting one other, but these female athletes came together and I love their motto is that it's, they call themselves the See It, Be It brand. And their mm-hmm. whole sort of focus is surfing, seeing really great, inspiring stories of women at all levels of sport and using that as a way to make people and especially young girls realize that if they can see it, they can be it. And these are all the great reasons why. And the way in which they do it with such a playful, uh, very culturally sort of in tune tone makes me smile and always helps me actually through that discover a lot of female athletes and stories mm-hmm. that I didn't know mm-hmm. about, but that are so inspiring and really contextually relevant. And I love just the way they use their social as a really, really nice way of a brand that has understood its audience understood what it's trying to move its audience to do and finds a really good way of constantly communicating that. So I I really love, love, love what they're doing there. And then another one that I think doesn't get enough maybe credits these days for it, but for me still continues to surprise and delight in how it thinks about creativity is Spotify. I think Spotify Mm. is somewhere, and I think because it's become really big now versus where it started off when it was given a lot of its plaudits for creativity, people forget about it. But I think just how great they are, that personalization of your music experience and how they creatively sort of use their product to help surface new music to you, adjacent genres, now embedding in events and there for you to discover them as your music taste grows and evolves. I think is a really, really creative thing because what they've done is said, okay, we've become this really, really big thing that no longer has that sort of charm that it did when it began at the beginning, you know, this lovely Scandinavian brand that were changing how <laughs> music was. And that now we know that the way they've changed how music is, is problematic for artists and how they earn. So I'll, mm-hmm. I'll leave that aside as a topic for now. But <laughs> what I think is still at the heart of what they've done well in order to try and sort of solve for how can we heighten the streaming listening experience for a fan, help elevate live performance for artists because we recognize that we're now in a business that has taken away a lot of revenue in the old way for them, but we can mm-hmm. bring it back by making their concerts famous and, and more discoverable. And I just think that's a really lovely way to solve for that. And I think everyone always smiles every year when they get their Spotify wrapped year in music. Definitely. Um, yeah. So for me, those are the three that I would pick. Wonderful. 
Well, thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. And I loved um, it too. Thank you for giving me the opportunity and nice to sit and talk specifically about creative as well. I'm sure the creative team will be like, oh, so she does know what's happening. Please report back I will send this round to them. They'll love your podcast. Wonderful. But I just want to thank them as well because it's been such a wonderful eight months of her journey that has actually genuinely like revived my love and interest back in creative. I didn't have always those opportunities to do that kind of work in my last role. And so it's been really wonderful to be back there and really trying to figure out how to solve real world problems Mm -hmm. in a really creative, very consumer emotional way first. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like I caught you at the right time then. So thank you so much. And I will look forward to our next chat after I go to a Beyonce show. Yes, please. <laughs> well, I'll have to get you there. That's actually me not being a good friend. So sorry, Carrie. Yeah. I, I will do better. I promise. We'll get you maybe to Taylor Swift. She's coming over to the UK. Okay, great. So there we go. I'm looking Let's forward date to it. next June together. Don't forget. I'll great. Promise. You've All got right. this as, a, as evidence. All right. I'll hold you to that. Please do. Thank you so much for your time and all the best. Thanks for everyone Thank for you. listening. Thank you so much. Ciao. Bye. Ciao.